Welcome to Making Things Right, an invitation to restoring LGBTQ plus faith. I'm your host, Brian Nitzel. If you're tired of the debates and the division around faith and sexuality, if you're interested in more productive ways to engage and solution together and bridge divides between Christian and LGBTQ plus communities, then I think this is for you. So welcome to the table and welcome to Making Things Right. All right, welcome to today's episode, which is One Table. It's part one of a two-parter, and it's about differing perspectives with a common cause, and that is to make things right with the LGBTQ plus community where we can and where we should. I've observed, at least in the last several years, or a few years, that there, there are productive conversations and efforts going on in my world between you know, the LGBTQ plus community, Christian community, disconnects, et cetera. I think there's productive conversations, yet those tend to be in silos. Uh, a great example, recent conversation with a, a wonderful leader at a church, and they were really wanting to, you know, they're, they're reasonably conservative. I would call them inclusive, but not infirming, if that language makes any sense to you. They're kind of on the way. And uh, they, they, they were wrestling with and wanting to rethink some policies and protocols around LGBTQ plus leadership. And I suggested having a trusted LGBTQ plus voice at that table with the leaders. And they were like, wow, I never thought of that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's things like that where I think we figure this stuff out better together. And I'm admittedly an optimist, probably an idealist, um, and I do, for the record, respect hesitations on varied sides of this conversation. My LGBTQ plus friends, some of them, many of them have been wounded by the church, and they're not really interested in repeating that. Uh, my Christian or church friends, maybe more a little in the traditional lane, very deeply held important beliefs at play, and they can't afford to get this wrong. And I fully agree. So I invite you as a listener, wherever you're coming from, to bring all your hesitations and your experiences to this table. Because I think at one table, we find empathy, we find understanding, we find common aspirations and common ground on what we all believe in, healing hurts and righting wrongs and reconciliation. And that's what today's episode is all about. So I've had the privilege of meeting many true thought leaders in my work, I know that's a fancy word, but I truly have met some wonderful people that are really leading thinking and action around the LGBTQ plus and the Christian communities. Some of them, some of those leaders that I know represent the LGBTQ plus community. Some represent the Christian church. Some represent both. Some are more widely known, uh, some less or so, uh, but all are having impact in their spheres of influence. And today I have four of those rock stars and friends with me. So we're gonna be doing a panel in a podcast. It's a little bit of a unique approach in that you can't see the wonderful faces that are sitting in front of me, um, but I'm gonna do my best here to help you know each one before we dive in. Uh, but just know that each of them, from my perspective, brings much credibility and their unique experience and points of view on how to make things right. So to kick this off, let's briefly go around the horn here. I'm going to introduce you to each of my guests, uh, and then we'll get to the meat of our conversation today. So first, I want to introduce Jennifer Knapp. Hey, Jennifer. Hello. Uh, Grammy-nominated artist, iconic figure in the contemporary Christian music world, sold over a million records. If, if, you, if you don't know her, you live under a rock. <laughs> and in 2010, she came out very publicly and since has been quite an advocate for LGBTQ uh, and faith matters. And our connection, Jennifer, like when did we met last year, right? Yeah. I, I, if I recall right, you were uh, doing some online series with uh, Renovus and it's, I think, prompted a bit by the COVID lockdown, right? So yes, we yes. Get together. We're pivoting our events to online. Yeah. So you asked me if I would uh, do an online show concert for you guys. And I was like, oh yeah, let's do it. And you didn't know me from Adam. No, I didn't know you from Adam. Like, <laughs> I don't know who this weirdo guy is, but yes. let's get to know him. No, um, no, it was, it was really lovely to be able to do that. And I think in particular, just um, a lot of faith communities with the, the COVID lockdown, just as an aside, were 
not giving up on the conversations that they were having. And yeah, yeah. it was just really fun for me as a musician in this space yeah. to be able to go, oh, I know how to do that. Like I know how to do online stuff and connect that way. And it was really nice to to be with a, another group that were like, no, we're, we're not going to let you guys all fall apart. We're, we're going <laughs> to figure out a way to do this all together. And it was, it was really fun to be able to do. And yeah, you and I have talked a lot. We were nerdy behind the scenes in terms of tech yes, and yeah. getting that done. I love um, that. And yeah. And the digital age and all of that stuff, but on top of that, to be able to use that format for, to continue yeah. what we were doing. So and I it, really appreciate it. And it really started our connection on this conversation, which is awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I'll just say like in terms of advocacy and people that are familiar with this conversation, a lot of us are working in our own little pocket somewhere there with our own little things yep. and everybody on this panel will be the same way. But occasionally what happens is that you intersect and to be able to have those conversations together is really useful because you're like, Hey, what have you been doing? What did you learn? Oh, that's really helpful. And, yeah. we've carried on that conversation behind the scenes for a, a, at least a year now. So yeah, yeah it's awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for joining today. My pleasure. Awesome. My next guest is my good friend, Gregory Cook, or Ori Cook, as, as he goes by. Um, Ori is the executive director of Renovus, which is an organization focused on the LGBTQ plus community to help them rediscover their faith in Jesus. We founded that organization together. We did. Uh, but also, what I love about you is you are also you're committed to the LGBTQ plus community, but you are deeply committed to the church and being a good partner and resource, which I think is awesome. Why don't you fill that out a little bit and tell us, you know, what you bring today? You know, I grew up in a not having a faith base. Yeah. And I, when I was seventeen, I got saved, and when I came out. It was all stripped away from me. Mm. And now my objective is to make sure that no one ever else, no one else ever has to feel that, that nakedness that, mm -hmm. that happens when you, your faith is stripped away. Yep. And thankfully, I was able to come back to faith. And, yeah. and now I'm just an advocate for both the church and the LGBT community. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for joining us today, Thank Ori. You. Uh, my next guest is Keith Malone Wilson, a brilliant friend, thought leader, recently left a fancy corporate job to pursue <laughs> your dream of being a consultant and a subject matter expert on diversity and inclusion. And uh, he's also a board member of Renovus and brings a, just a wonderful, unique perspective. I'm trying to think, that I'm, I'm picturing when we met. I mean, we met before this, mm -hmm. but a, a, a really key meeting that I'm remembering is when we sat at that restaurant just north of Midtown and really for the first time kind of connected on these types of matters and you brought different perspectives and uh, and then we've been just greatly connected ever since. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah so I recently, uh, a few months ago, left a, a wonderful firm um, that I had been a part of as a people leader um, and an executive. Um, and, you know, uh, my passion has always been around helping people achieve their best, right? Yeah. And I realized in my role that, for me, um, that was making sure that people could show up and be themselves fully present every day. Yeah. And how do I help leaders create environments where people can show up and be fully engaged? Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for being here today. You're welcome. And last but certainly not least is my good friend, Debbie Quasi. Uh, Debbie is a care director at a big church in town, and she leads a parent support network for Christian parents with LGBTQ plus kids. Um, tell us a little more about that and kind of what brings you to this conversation today. Yeah, well, you know, um, my son Noah, about seven years ago, uh, came out and I was not prepared for it. And so I was pretty buttoned up. I loved my certainty, loved my black and white uh, <laughs> thinking at the time. So he kind of shattered all of that, and so it put me on a pursuit of research, researching scripture, researching my son, because he'd lived a life for four years of us not knowing who yeah. he was. And um, I was starting to get to know you guys um, in Renovus, which was amazing, and so I just decided, you know, these other parents need to learn how to love their kids well and to find out where God has them on the journey too. Yeah. So that's kind of where that came from. That's awesome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Welcome. So if you can't tell already by now, we've got some <clears throat> wonderful personalities at the table. So let's let's dive into some conversation. I posed two questions in advance to this group uh, to consider. 
and I'll, we'll, uh, it's no perfect science, we'll figure it out, but I'll start just by asking each of you those questions. You can sort of share your thoughts, uh, and I invite any of you to respond to their thinking, okay? And we'll see where it goes. So the first question is about action. I personally have a point of view that we can sometimes stay stuck in this conversation, and it's really important to figure out, no matter where you're coming from, what's kind of my next step and how do I engage and promote healing and you know, how do I get out of the conversation into action? So Debbie, I'll pose the question to you first, if you don't mind, you could be the brave starter. <laughs> um, and again, all of you can respond uh, your thoughts to what she says, but as it relates to the LGBTQ plus community and the Christian church and from your experience, what are specific ways you think to move the needle or make things right that you think is especially important or needed? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. I think we get caught up in, you know, arguing theology or, you know, people believing the same way we do, whether that's politics or race or this topic. And I don't think it needs to be that complicated. I think we can actually be unified in loving people and still disagree with what our beliefs are. Of course, I love for people to believe the same thing I do, and I want my friends to be those people. Um, but I think we just get too caught up with, you know, uh, leaders that maybe uh, try to share with us, hey, the world's coming to an end, and you got to believe what I believe, or, you know, you're going to go down with it. And I just don't think we have to have that philosophy. So... The way I look at it is just learning how to treat people and learning how to love people well. I think we have a different definition of what that is. Mm -hmm. You know, if I have a friend that's coming out and saying, I, I'm going through a divorce, I'm going to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that you're experiencing that. I'm not going to say, well, I got to let you know where I stand on that. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to love you, but, you know, I'm going to love the sinner, hate the sin, mm -hmm. which is a trigger, you know, and very hurtful. So we have different ideas of what love really is. So I, I'm a big believer that, you know, Jesus ate at a lot of tables. Jesus loved the marginalized. And if we could learn the definition of true love, it could make a big difference. And a lot of LGBT folks have said to me, you know, we care more about how we're treated than if you agree with us as far as our beliefs. And so if we could focus on, hey, I'm going to try to get to know you better. I'm going to get to know your story because exposure and empathy are what push people toward love um, and understanding. And so getting to know, hanging out with, I'm not talking about, hey, can I go to lunch with you, LGBT folks, so that I can, you know, have my token conversation so that I can say that I'm loving this is more of, hey, I want to I wanna get to know you. I want to hear your story. I, I want to learn. Um, there's so much that can come from that, and I have learned that through you guys. I've just grown to love you guys so much through being a part of your life every single day. So, so, can I ask you a question, Debbie? Sure. So what do you think about telling stories is the most effective way to for people to engage with other people. Yes, I'm a big believer that that's the truth. Argument isn't really going to get many people there. It'll get some people there. And there's certainly leaders that that go that approach. Um, but story all day long. I'm a counselor. I'm a licensed counselor, so I love story. So I'm a little biased. Yes. Um, but, you know, story is what's going to allow people learning and understanding and really, at the end of the day, loving well. So, yeah, I've got tons of thoughts, but anybody else have thoughts on that? Um, I, I do like, like, oh. uh, like not necessarily in a negative way, but like I tend to see like these big macro pictures of our collective experience. And one of the things like for me early on, because I wasn't I didn't I wasn't born into an evangelical family. I chose Christianity at a certain point and I was always really irritated by my evangelical friends who had all these relationships as they were ulterior motives. So I'm really keyed into that as a queer person inside of this community where people say, and I, I know you mean well, like this idea is I need to build these relationships. I need to, to build friendships and ask you a thousand questions. And I'm like, but with my experience and my trigger of evangelical people wanting to convert me all of the time, mm -hmm. there's always this ulterior motive to the relationship building. Mm -hmm. And so for, for 20 years now, my experience with Christianity, I kind of go, man, you're skipping a step. 
like you got to just want to be friends. Like you've got to want to like just who cares about the issue? Like it's just it's not about an issue. It's about the human being across the table from you and being able to say like not like a thousand questions because like, oh, tell me about you so I can necessarily learn, which is a trigger that I had a little bit in what you were saying. It's Mm -hmm. like, don't come at me because you want to learn. Come at me because you want to have a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. To not just be friends with the the LGBTQ people. Don't want to be a project. Yeah, I don't want to be a project. And I don't think anybody wants to be that, right? that's a great point. You know, it's, it's, but it's, it's understanding the tradition that we've been handed in going, man, evangelicalism's big hang up, as although it might be well-meaning to be able to kind of create a group in a community, always has in the back of its mind its ulterior motive to save you, to rescue you. Or for me to get to the new iteration of that in our modern sense is that challenge of being able to say, hey, we're here because we've actually been disconnected. Mm-hmm. What can we do to get connected? And that, that to me is like something that I, I, I think that. in our language yeah, is really that. important yeah. Yeah. because we're dealing with the baggage of our tradition, dealing with this conquest kind of relationship building to get closer to you so we can bam, like, mm-hmm. like save you. you know, yeah, right. to yeah. save you. And, right. and I don't need but to save you. that's a very different right. school of yeah. thinking. Right. Right. It's, it's really, it's a, it it's not that radical time. to me now, but to some, that's a pretty different, that's like almost changing the Christian job description yeah. in some ways. Well, well I yeah, think, I'm sorry. I was just going to pull yeah. out one thing that you said earlier where you're like, you, in your work, you're like, you want people to be their best. Right. Like, what can I do? That's the question. What right. can I do to well, be of service to you to help you be your best? Correct. And I think that, that converse that thought and that conversation requires that you de- decentralize yourself, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things for me as a Christian that I think people misunderstand about Jesus is that we think that, okay, Jesus came and he centralized the story about himself and everything else was a tag, you know, was a tag <laughs> along, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we miss the fact that the entire story of Jesus was him decentralizing himself, you know, learning how to love himself, but more importantly, learning how to love others or showing how to love others, rather, showing how to love our enemies, showing how to love our neighbors, um, showing how to love, you know, those that we may not ever have anything in common with, right? Um, And so I think so much of the story that we as Christians um, have gotten wrong is this notion that we still center the story around ourselves. And so therefore, when we bring people into our lives or we try to love people, we try to love them from the vantage point of what's best for me, right? Right. As opposed to what's best for the other person, you know? And I think if we start to engage people in a way that says, listen, I want to love you for what's best for you, Mm -hmm. that changes your mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not thinking about, okay, I'm trying to save you, right? You're thinking about, how can I love you? How can I serve you better? What can I do to make your life better? And uh, that's where I get really excited, like, about stories like yours, Debbie, is because that's that's a very parental response, right? To go, oh, my gosh, the parents who have cued cued into their LGBTQ kids and going, oh, my gosh, I want to love my kid. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I want all of a sudden, like, the, the certainty and stuff that we've all been kind of following the script of what we thought was really good, and all of a sudden that hasn't centered the people that we love. And mm-hmm. those are really big motivating factors, I think, yep. for a lot of us. Yep. Well, and for me, I was given, I considered a gift of perspective that my child came out because yeah. – I wouldn't have changed if he hadn't come out. Yep. So when I think of this group of people, I'm I'm in full agreement with what mm. you're saying, uh, Jennifer. It's it's not that I want somebody to build a relationship with people that are different yeah. from them so that they can save them. Right. right. Yeah. I want people right. to get out of their homogenous lives where there's mm. nobody different from them that they yep. are interacting with. And this is this is a conversation that it, you know goes beyond LGBTQ+. Mm-hmm. I- I'm talking about anybody that's different from you. Just right. hear their story. Take some time to listen to them. You know, the Marin Foundation study that was done, he talked about how people just wanted somebody to get to know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's no ulterior motive in that. I agree with you. Yeah. That has been the case. Right. Um, but when I'm talking about it, I'm talking more of just get outside of your homogenous group. Yeah, you get to know some people because you're going to find some amazing people on the other side. And what kind of power does that have when somebody knows you? Mm -hmm. Because when when you are fully known to someone, right, that impacts that changes your life, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it changes their life. Changes their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
more yep. times. I love yep. that. You were referring to the Marin study, which is awesome, right. Andrew Marin, just so you know what the heck she was talking about. And I think the book was Us Versus Us, actually talking about it in my white paper, and just amazing statistics and digging into the history of LGBTQ plus and religion and realizing it's not us versus them, it's right. us versus us. Mm -hmm. You know, the LGBTQ plus folks did grow up in the church and mm -hmm. yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of skipping to the second question, but so what? Okay, so we've talked about all of this <laughs> stuff, but there, there, why aren't, what are the hesitations? What are the hurdles? Why are people not entering in? Like everything that we just said, kind of sounds really good on paper. And I think most people even listening, it's kind of hard to disagree with. Why don't we step into that? Why do we think that we have to kind of get it right before we can be in a relationship? What holds people back from I that? I think it's fear. Yeah. Plain and simple. 100%. People, people mm -hmm. are afraid to step into something that they don't know. Mm -hmm. And interacting with people that aren't like them mm -hmm. scares them. Mm -hmm. So they step back and they hide and they shelter and they do everything except step into what they should they should mm -hmm. and that's being in relationship with people mm -hmm. yeah. i had stuff. a picture of what a gay person or a trans person looked like before noah came out and mm -hmm. it's I, I don't even like to talk about it because it's a little bit triggering for me but you know, it was they. They were very loud. They were very much agenda driven. Um, they wanted to change what I believed. They wanted to change the family. I mean, all the things. Yep. And um, so, when my passive, loving, introverted, people pleasing son came out, it was like, wait a minute, this is not this. This is shattering everything I've ever ever thought. Mm -hmm. And so, I think there is a fear that of that that somebody's going to try to take us down a road that is not good for us. They're yep. going to, you know, take us down the slippery slope is the, <laughs> the word that's often used. Yeah, yeah. Um, and make the church, you know, um, dumb down, make scripture dumb down. I think these are the fears. They don't really know what the reality is, what the true picture is of this LGBTQ plus community. And so you got over that, you got over that fear prompted by yeah, your son. Right. Right. Through exposure. Right. Um, and honestly, it's so different than what I thought it was. Mm. And so my hope for others is for them to get that same gift of perspective. Mm. Now, I won't admit that I sometimes pray for leaders to have their children come out because it is the fastest way to get you there. Um, but um, I don't pray that. So um, anyway, but you know. That's awesome. Well, when you, Ori, when you kind of mentioned fear, like there, there is a lot of that and a lot of what prevents people from doing the next thing and like even what you were saying, the, the construct of Debbie, the, the construct of what you'd inherited of what an LGBTQ person looks like and what that represents is kind of always this really graphic cultural war that the church has had against the rainbow folks, mm -hmm. right? And I, one of the things I think of, and it's fearful, and one of the things that we've done historically inside of Christianity actually is we actually get, we've inherited so much of this narrative we don't realize how heteronormative it's been, how sexually, in terms of gender binary it's been. We get this conversation inside of our faith communities that's somewhat in our bubble of our, our community and our language. Yep. And we're, that information's transmitted to us, but we haven't interrogated it. We haven't said, oh, my pastor said this about the queer community for years. You haven't had the reason to go, well, is that information accurate? Because maybe you didn't have a dog in the fight. Right. You didn't have skin in the game. And what's happened over the last decades, if you look at Christianity itself, like every time a group of folks where faith has been used to marginalize them, to colonize them, the group of the oppressed has turned back and used that faith. This is a glorious thing about Christianity, actually, that I think is amazingly resilient, is that you have this narrative of like, oh, wow, the, the faith and the people who have, who have uh, championed that faith have, have used it to marginalize me, and then it's still valuable to enough that we fight for it and go, no, there's something in here that keeps me alive and yes. it's precious. Mm -hmm. So we turn that with a mirror back on itself. And if you look at the history, and this is my little soapbox about what we don't do in Christianity as Christians is actually be educated about who we are as Christians. Amen. We don't know, we, we look at 2,000 years ago, but we don't look 
at what happened in between of how we got here. We mm -hmm. stop as if it's this thing. And so if we if we actually look at that time in between, every one of these groups of of of, of alienated folks on the outside, Christianity has allowed them to kind of get back into the space. So, you know, black theology has emerged, uh, feminist theology has emerged, mm -hmm. queerist theology, uh, womanist theology, all of these oppressed groups that have been pushed out have actually used the faith that we have found inside of this and put it back to a mirror of those who've tried to centralize themselves. Yep. And so each one of these moves, if you look at that, have an opportunity if we educate ourselves to go, when I say I'm a Christian, what do I really mean? And I, if you've been, like for the queer community, one of the best things that we've ever done is we've gone to div school and gross. We've got educated about what it is our tradition is teaching and not just what's been handed down to us. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about that, like it's not just learning about LGBTQ stuff in education, but go, really, if you say that you're Christian, you mean something about it. Even if your pastor or your church or your church leader isn't teaching you that, it's different than Bible study. It's not just telling you what to think theologically. Mm -hmm. It's like, where we've, where have we come from? How did this start? Mm -hmm. How did we get to where we are? And what is our future going to be? Mm -hmm. Going to be? And you have to do that by not just having a relationship with the the ways that somebody gave to you and yep. told you to think about it, but to interrogate it, and then also ask you, yourself the question of who do I want to be with this information, mm -hmm. and how am I going to be a part of this? Mm -hmm. So I, it's that's my soapbox. Well, I love no, it. I just, love that. Yeah. It makes me think about the younger generation. We're talking about this at dinner. Like I, I think when I talk to twenty and thirty somethings that love Jesus and talk about Jesus like I do, and I'm not that vintage. Um, <laughs> they, don't, they don't. They they don't. That hang up isn't there. You know what I mean? They, yeah. They've dug in. They, they've been maybe taught to critically, or they've they figured out they want to be critical thinkers. Maybe they're not growing up in the church as much. They're not accepting things being handed down. And so they're informing their understanding of the Bible and Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus from various sources to arrive at a really broad, beautiful picture of Christianity that incorporates both social justice and even some traditional mm. thinking. Like they and and I find most people that are either my vintage or older, that's just that's a lot trickier to do. They're not used to sort of doing what you're talking about and sort of deconstructing a bit and making sure that their faith and their belief system is not just handed to them, but they embody it and they believe it. And you either have that or you have them walking away from their faith, right. yes. which right. my son yep. has done. Yes. And it's heartbreaking because, you know, one of the things that changed my life is a couple weeks after he came out, I went to a conference and I was watching the LGBT community worshiping God and studying scripture. And then we went into these breakout rooms where they were just really mulling over scripture. And I thought, wait a minute, what in the world? Right, right. I mean, I feel like they're freer worshiping God than my straight friends. Mm -hmm. So something's not right here. Yeah. Um, but what's so sad is that there's such a huge majority that are just walking away from their faith because yes. they can't really reconcile a good God with what's happening to them and and how they're they're treated or or and I I, th I think for so long that the church and the gay community have clashed that the gay community doesn't feel like it's safe for them to right. even walk right. through the halls of right. a church yeah you're not going to hang out with somebody who makes you feel bad about correct. yourself I don't correct. care who that is I mean like I've, your I've, parents your friends mm -hmm. a church yeah I've I've had tons of people say I. If I go to church, I'm going to ignite and blow up as soon as I walk in the door, right. just because they feel like their sin is so much greater than anything God can offer them, and the church has made them believe that you're not worthy of walking through these doors. Yes. And the problem is, how do you get people to start believing in somebody that doesn't believe in them? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think so, that's the... And that's, that's the church. That's not God's fault. That's the church's and fault. I think that's our... And I represent both the LGBTQ plus community and the Christian church community, you know? And I think it's, um, if it's not a responsibility at minimum, it's a wonderful opportunity to turn that paradigm, right? That's looking at whether you've been actively involved or indirectly involved in that type of thinking and oppression, and you got to get your stuff straight before you can walk in the doors here. Um, whether, yeah, I just... But they're it, walking away from their faith. Right. Right. And that's, that's the a real fear that a yes, lot of people yes. have, right? And I think even internalized for a lot of LGBTQ plus people, like, well, yes. if I walk away, it, it does feel like a loss, I think, to a degree. I, I was going to ask you, Ori, you said the other day when you'd gone through that cycle 
and I think sometimes we get an imagination that people come back quick. But how how long have you 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 said you were jack of the church, and then you left for a long time, and then you came back? How long was that? Like that wasn't overnight. That was ten years. Yeah, it's a long time. So I I had been in the church for ten years. Left. I had been sorry. I'd been in the church for ten years. Left for twenty years, mm-hmm. and then came back. I no. would art like I, I'm not you, but I would go. It took you twenty years to heal. Yeah. Well, you uh... and, well, and the healing came from a pastor who finally told me that I was just okay, just the way I was. Yep. Yeah. Or or I got to put you on the spot. Back up a little bit. Walk walk us through that timeline. <clears throat> I was kicked out of church because because I was gay. And because they decided that, or you announced it, or what? They, 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 <laughs> they, they, they asked me if I was gay. Okay. Um, and then they told me that they didn't want me in their church. They said, please don't come here anymore. Not even just leadership, but like, just don't come. Yeah. Oh. And that crushed my soul. Mm. And I was just like, forget this. I'm, mm. I'm out. So I moved across the country, moved to San Francisco, came out, and it was like the most freeing thing. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't worry about God. Mm-hmm. But God still loved me, Amen. and I still loved God. I just had, I wasn't going to do anything with the church. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Atlanta. I met a pastor, and that changed my life. How did this pastor engage you? Like, you didn't obviously meet this pastor by walking so, in the so doors I'll of this church. You, so, <laughs> so I'll tell you the story. Please. So I um, was working at a hospital. Oh, that's right. And mm. as I was working at the hospital, I was taking down some insurance information, and I asked the gentleman, well, who is the next of kin? And he said, Charles Stanley. And I said, like, Dr. Charles Stanley? <laughs> and he said, yeah, that's my dad. And Andy Stanley, for the first time, just showed me love no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that began a transformation. Like, did you no. guys, did he develop a relationship with you? Did you hang out with him? Like, what did that look like before you darkened the doorstep of his church? Um, he invited me to come to church, hmm. and I said, thanks, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I wasn't huge. ready. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. ready. Mm-hmm. But the invitation felt genuine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's something about that invitation that was undeniable. Yeah. And I went back and talked to a friend of mine, and he was like, I want to go to church. He said that out of the blue. And I was like, why do you want to go to church? Crazy. And he was like, well, because I grew up in a Baptist church. I went to a small group. And he's like, I just... Feel it's, I was like, what kind of a church would you go to? And he said, he named a church, and it was Andy Stanley's church. Wow. Mm. And I was like, I just met that pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up, you know, we both went, and it started a whole new life for me. Mm-hmm. So, Quick question, Ori. So to our earlier point about self-interest, right, that Jennifer talked about, um, when Andy made that invitation to you, did you feel a sense of like, okay, He's inviting me because he wants to convert me, or he's inviting me because uh, good question. he wants me to be here. I didn't know. I didn't know at the time, but I felt that it was genuine for the first time in my life. Mm. I felt like, wait, there's something about this particular pastor yeah. that I've never experienced before. And that changed my life. So it's yeah. almost like intuitively you knew that wasn't mm-hmm. the case. You just weren't sure yet. Well, I think God had been working on my heart at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was just the vehicle that he used. Yeah. So, so you, good. I, yeah. Your story, I think, is so powerful, Ori, because it reminds me, and I think, I don't know, you may have heard the story, Debbie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, my um, kind of moment, of that was um, when I was a kid. I was, um, I don't know, maybe 11 or 10 years old. And um, this was back when um, I grew up in a very small town. So this was back when AIDS was just kind of hitting small town America, right? And um, in my home church, um, there was a gentleman in my church who uh, contracted AIDS. Um, 
and um, or contracted HIV, if you will, and, and became infected with AIDS. Um, and um, and so the church asked him to stop coming, right? Like the board of deacons got together and asked him to stop coming. So wrong. And um, and so, but anyway, my grandmother um, invited him to um, her home um, on every, every Sunday. Hooray for your grandmother! And yeah, and she would serve him communion every Sunday oh. um, at her home. Right. That's beautiful. And um, and what was so powerful about that? I, I say all that to say that you know she did it until the day that he passed, and um, number of years later, I was talking to her about it. And you know, and I remember asking her. I said, "Were you af- were you in any way remotely afraid of that? Because nobody knew. Like in Smallton America, right. we didn't know. We didn't you know, know, they didn't know how you got it. Like what you know, whatever. People just were not informed. And she said, "You know," she said, "I had that that thought for for a small moment." She said, "But what was more important to me was the fact that I had known this young man my entire life. I had watched him grow up." And I knew that my responsibility was to love him. Mm-hmm. And so if that meant that I was going to be taken out by this, then so be it. But I had to love him because that's what I was called to do. And she loved um, him continuing yeah. tradition of like the beauty of like the picture. She didn't just invite him over for dinner, although right. I'm sure she fed him great. Yep. Like she gave him communion. Yeah. Every Sunday, yeah, it was, it was powerful. Um, and so I grew church up, that brings right, tears to my yeah, eyes. Yeah, and I grew up with that. I want church. grandma's church, I need right? <laughs> Where's the Kleenex that was supposed to be on the table? Oh, um, but I say that to say that I grew up with that tradition, and so for me, when I, um, you know, I never wrestled with whether God and I were okay. And that was never a wrestle. That was never a thing for me, right? Because I'd seen that tradition. Um, for me, I knew it was always about people. And that people were just getting it wrong, mm. you know. And so, um, and that was always my challenge. And so, I, I love, I love your story, Ori, because I think, you know, for me, I know that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about, you know, the church that you mentioned, um, and uh, you know, and, and Andy's ministry is that, you know, they seek to get it right you know, as it relates to love, right? And I think, you know, so so much of the church has been based on this notion that, okay, you know, if I get it wrong, Mm -hmm. then what does that mean, right? And I think behind that idea of getting it wrong is that if I get it wrong, that means that somehow I am going to suffer, right? And I think when you compare that to getting it right by loving other people, what would Jesus ask us to do? And I think Mm -hmm. he would rather that we get it right and love other people, you know, if it's a right and wrong conversation, then versus getting it wrong and, and feeling like, you know, oh, my Lord, I'm going to, you know, lose my salvation, right? Um, I, I don't know. I just think that that's, you know, that's, that's kind of it. And it's a big, powerful thing. I remember it's kind of what kept me from uh, knowing God's blessing as a gay Christian man until I was 40 years old, yeah. you know, because that was a powerful Thing that held me. And I, I can't say that I was afraid of going to hell, and I had a good, great relationship with God, but I just felt like it was too risky that my salvation would be at risk. That fear held me for so long. My coming out process and wrestling sort of at the crossroads for a couple of years was really having to go back and unwind a lot of that. And I didn't even know if I landed on understanding scriptures any better. I did go to the heart of the gospel and really see the heart of God and the life of Jesus, and that settled it for me more than five or six other verses. Um, so I probably couldn't lead a podcast very well on like <laughs> affirming theology. Right. I don't know what I think about all of that, but I know that the Bible tells me and teaches me about the heart of the gospel, yeah. which is love, which kind of settles those other things for me. Mm-hmm. But 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 that kept me in the closet until I was 40 years old, that fear of getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one thing for me is that being gay was the best thing that could happen to me. Wow, it drove me into relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow, it yeah. drove me into relationship. Like my relationship is stronger with Jesus now than it's ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. me being gay had to, I had to figure it out. So mm-hmm. now. You had to deconstruct, mm-hmm. and it and, and it and it sent me back into His arms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the the weirdest like Christian moment for me was to go. It's too risk. It's too risky for me to not love myself. Yeah, and it, yes. it's it's a. I know that sounds like that seemed. It was so hard for me to say that out loud because everything 
I taught particularly as a woman inside of my faith tradition, as a definitely kind of starting to the light bulbs going off for being LGBTQ in this tradition, it, it sounded like I was centralizing myself in this arrogant way. But it's too, I think all of us come to a crossroads where we say something about ourselves. Like I don't, it's too risky for me to not love the person that somehow I've understood that God loves. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the next movement of that love is to see somebody that you know that you you actually really love. Mm-hmm. And it, it happens in a variety of ways. Like I remember vividly the day that my now wife was driving away from me after I realized, uh, it was the moment I realized, oh my God, I really love this person. Mm-hmm. It was too risky for that person to get on a plane and fly away from me forever. I was like, I have to go. And it wasn't a need. It was just... It was too risky for me to not love. Like I, I had to make a choice to take risks mm-hmm. to go. Oh wow, this is going to make this, this is going to change your worldview. I can't leave you alone. I can't not care for you. Mm-hmm. This is what love is, and it's 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 not just me like targeting you and trying to figure out how to find that. Right? It's like <laughs> right. it's it's too risky for me not to love you. And I, for me, sometimes when I think about the church, it's like it's you're losing so much. What are you willing to risk to stand by this certainty of this weird narrative that separates, literally separates us from somebody else that mm-hmm. says, I can't love the sin or hate the sin is horrible, but let's just use that as a construct, right? Mm-hmm. You don't love somebody if you think, I don't care where you go or where you are, whether you're here or in my faith community, whether you want to engage Jesus or not. It's too risky for my love for you to just lose contact with you. Mm-hmm. I don't care where you are. I don't care where you go. Just I want to be there with you. And that's that to me is like this extraordinary thing about love. Mm-hmm. It's just it's mm-hmm. too risky not to say yes to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think, Jennifer, that it reminds me that so much of the Christian narrative, particularly in evangelical circles, is about perfection. Mm. Right? Mm. Like we we are on this path to perfection, you know, whether that's perfectly loving God or perfectly, you know, whatever that looks like for you, perfectly understanding the Bible, perfectly, you know. Um, and, you know, I think the truth of the reality is we're never called to be perfect, but we're called to be whole, mm-hmm. right? And I think oh. when we shift our understanding, because wholeness requires authenticity, to Ori's point earlier, mm-hmm. right? And so when you are authentic, you know, then that's where God's going to meet you, right? And that's also a space where you can actually start loving other people and decenter yourself because it's not about perfection. It's about wholeness, right? Totally. I love that. There's so totally. many good things y'all are saying. The The part about loving yourself is so crucial yes. for yeah. everyone, yeah. and it explains so much why there is such a huge element of shame the LGBT community, and so many people are taking their lives because I, I think they don't ever get to that point of being able to love themselves mm-hmm. and just, you know, feeling about themselves what they think other people feel mm-hmm. about them. So if we could get that right, that that would be mm-hmm. really, really and For amazing. my money, that's a work that every human being has to do. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's kind of a weird paradox, right, of centralization and decentralization of your mm-hmm. narrative, but it the ability to decentralize rests on your wholeness yep. and your lack of competition with the outside world. And for a, a reference to that that's been really helpful to me is Henry Nouwen's book, Reaching mm. Out. I love that book. Oh, right. Yes. It's fantastic, love right? That book. And one of the, the, the things that Nouwen talks about is like, wow, if you don't go to that sacred place and get yourself whole, then the result of that wholeness actually leads you to hospitality, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it, it seems so counterintuitive to sometimes what we're talking about. Like, right, you've got to love others. We've got to decentralize. But what does that mean? Because it seems paradoxical, right? Because you've got to be whole and love yourself first. Mm-hmm. So that there is that pattern if you see an LGBTQ community, like, it's okay. Let me just say that out loud if it hasn't been said today. You have permission to not be in church. Mm-hmm. If it takes you 20 years, like, if that invitation isn't right to you, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. And if, but if you love and you're ready to connect, then you're ready. Like, what is the risk if I don't? Like, there are those moments of that. Mm-hmm. But I love now and for that. Now and mm-hmm. goes, if you're healthy and you're whole, you take a risk, mm-hmm. go outside the door, do the next thing, and you, you'll be ready to be hosp- uh, hospitable mm-hmm. and it won't all be about you. Mm-hmm. And it's going to, ch- it's going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, living in that living in that uncertainty is just 
that was like the next chapter of my faith journey was just to be willing to live in the tension of uncertainty and getting it right. You know, like my, again, like I, if I had an argument with somebody on the six verses that address homosexuality, I'd lose yeah. um, because I rest my case and my life on the heart of the gospel and what I see Jesus doing and saying and my trust of God. But, you know, I'll be honest, I, I wake up in the proverbial cold sweat every once in a while, not all the time, but I, and I kind of remember those old fears like, what have I got this wrong? And it's just always an immediate invitation from the inside of me to go, well, then just lean into me more and trust me more. It's not this, mm. I'm supposed to go figure it out. It's like, <laughs> I'm supposed to lean on you and trust you. And the beauty of my coming out, people always ask, when did you come out? I, I don't really resonate with that, but it was when God gave me permission to stop staring at my navel mm. and fixing my sexuality mm-hmm. and to just look up and out and trust and be fully myself and to be productive and to serve people in the way that he created me. My second half of my life has been so much more productive in that respect and that it wasn't about me anymore. It was about others. And I just have to trust God with the stuff that I'm not so sure about. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But I was scared as heck about that before I crossed over. Mm -hmm. Like Keith was saying, it's not about being right. It's about living. Mm -hmm. Because if we try to just do the right thing, it's... It's thin. It's exhausting. Right. It's exhausting and thin. It's not rewarding. Yeah. It, it, it's mm-hmm. it's what I'm what's the word? It's um it's pandering even a sense to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think striving for that perfection is just yeah. you just get weighed down by mm-hmm. oh I missed that mark. Oh I missed that mark. Mm-hmm. I missed that. It's like when does it end? You're always gonna miss the mark. Yeah. So when so when is it, when are you gonna have the yeah. the power within you to say oh I've arrived? You mm-hmm. you're not. It, it just yeah. won't happen. So it's just about having the wholeness that Keith is talking about. Right. The part that's missing, I think, is there's also you know we're we're parts of people we're parts of ourselves. We have all these parts, and we're talking about being whole. Yep. Well, some of those parts are trauma parts. Yes. Some of those parts are <laughs> mental health parts yep. for everyone. I'm yep. not just saying the LGBT community, but the LGBT community has these trauma parts that have to have healing. Yep. And so it's not just a spiritual journey. It's, it's also a mental health journey of getting these parts kind of back together mm-hmm. into a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really critical. I, I totally agree with what you're saying as far as the spiritual journey mm-hmm. part of it. But mm-hmm. we've got to remember, too, that we've got these hurt parts that went through maybe some spiritual abuse, maybe went through you know all these things that you guys are referring to, being kicked out of churches, that affects your mental health too, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I thought about committing suicide. Yeah. I mean, it it was traumatic for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised that I made it through, mm-hmm. but it was by God's grace mm-hmm. that I did mm-hmm. because he had other plans for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I love that you reminded that a lot of the LGBTQ plus experience is a lot of hurt and yep. rejection and yep. trauma. And if we want to love... You know, it might, Jesus might be the fourth thing we talk about. Right. <laughs> or right. The sixth right. or never. Yeah. We right. just be Jesus and yeah. attend to that. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I've gotten to a point where if somebody is in the LGBTQ plus community and they still believe in God, I think that's an exception to the rule. I think, oh, wow, how have you made it yeah. through this Amazing journey? resiliency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A yeah. lot of resiliency. Yeah. I really do think yeah. so. About 10 years ago, I was at an HRC thing and for the first time got to hear Bishop Gene Robinson speak. Oh, yeah. And in that space, we were, we were actually getting ready to go to do all these lobbies in, with senators and stuff. So there's like a bunch of just charged up activists just getting really, you know, just ready to say what. But it was a lot, it was a clergy call. So it was a lot of faith based people doing it. But I remembered Bishop Gene, and I was still pissed then. I'm like, yeah, let's go just like tear the church down. Like, let's don't let the senators do it. Like, I had a pitchfork and, you know, and a a fire in the other hand. And I remember Bishop Robertson saying, you know what, you you don't have to do this work. You don't have to heal the church. You don't have you can you can walk away. You like to see somebody with the cloth on to go, you don't ever have to walk back into that space if you don't want to. Because Bishop Gene Robinson basically said, like to me in that moment, right? 
it's not that I will find you. It's like, I just don't forget you. Mm-hmm. Like, you're here. I see you where mm-hmm. where you are. Mm-hmm. You don't owe anything to me to come back to a place that's hurt you. Mm-hmm. And when I, I was like, oh, my gosh, just in that moment, I was like, uh, for me, just as an individual, I'm not Episcopalian. I'm yeah. like, I appreciated Gene Robinson, but I didn't know that this stranger was just going to give me such a gift to go, I don't owe any, but anything to anybody. Like, I can be mad at the church. I can take 10 years to heal, 20 years to heal. I can never go back. Mm-hmm. But what somebody in that community, when I started to connect to other people in that space, was like, oh, like this is an ongoing conversation. We're not trying to be perfect. We're just going, I don't want to forget some part of myself, and nor do I want it to be stolen from me either. And so that's the other, that was the thing that took off for me that slowly let that kind of open back up and go, oh, I'm kind of, I realized I wasn't really pissed at the church because my resiliency was in my faith. My resiliency had taught me that I was a person of value, of personal worth, and I was willing to fight for that to the point that I'd tear something down. Mm-hmm. And that's a weird, uncomfortable <laughs> confession. Mm-hmm. But the other side of it, to be able to go to have somebody inside of that space going, this is love. I will set you free. Yeah. You don't have to be here, mm-hmm. but I'm here if you're here. It's an invitation. It's like, hey, when you're ready... Here's where I hide the key under the mat. And I, and I think that when you are there, it gives permission for other people to show up there too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they get to hear your story. Yep. Yeah. They're Absolutely. Like, oh, that's, wait that's wait how, a minute. Yep. She didn't have to come back here. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. she did. And then th- that story gets through everybody and they're like, how amazing a gift is it that you could forgive somebody that has hurt you so much. Mm-hmm. And it's about forgiveness and it's about grace, not for, not for us, mm-hmm. but from us mm-hmm. back to the church. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw down some scripture and I can't believe it when I'm always the first person to do it. But <laughs> there, And I'm not even going to give the scripture reference to it right, but there's a scripture that says, he who's been forgiven much loves much. Mm-hmm. Yep. If, yes. if, if you've been yes. released from something, you know... You, you like it's kind of like that weird thing. It's like, man, if you had that brush with death, it makes life more vivid, and you know, it makes you value the things that you value. Mm-hmm. I'm not super comfortable with just that that text, but to think he's been loved much, loves much, mm-hmm. like yes. your grandma, right? Like yes. if you if you know and can call upon the things that have given you life, you can recognize the things that give you wholeness the things that you cannot dare drive away from you because you know that there is a loss. It's not, you don't own it, but you don't want to like lose sight of the things that are precious to you. He who loves much, loves much. Yes. That's, that's just what happens. And the beauty of that too, is that institutionally, like as churches, that's a great call, but we can do that as individuals. Mm. We're all the church. Like it's just me. And who, who do I know in my life that I can impact and, and get to know their story and not try to save them or whatever. It's just a, it's a, I, I do hope for institutional, you know, top-down uh, decentralizations and simplification of what the gospel is about. But in the meantime, we all can do it. And mm-hmm. we all, you know, we have people in our lives are not too far away. You might not be in the front row. It might not be your kid, mm-hmm. um, but you might be in the second row. And, and and you're probably listening to this because you think, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of interested. Like, look around. So it's just nice that we don't have to wait for the church to get this right because we are the church. Right, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friends, thank you so much for all. I kind of had a feeling that all I had to do was throw one question out and you guys would go. <laughs> <laughs> so this is way easier than I thought it was going to be. But thank you for each of your perspectives, your passion, your convictions, your heart, uh, and for showing up today. I really appreciate it. And thank you for you who are listening. Um, I hope somehow, I'm sure it did, our conversation sparked something in you, you connected with somebody here to think about what your unique role could be in helping make things right. So that's signing off for today. We got final episode of One Table Part 2 with three more guests. I hope you check it out. Signing off for now. Brian Nitzel is an author, speaker, and thought leader. To learn more, visit briannitzel.com or follow him on Instagram at Brian Nitzel.